God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to give you praise, Jesus. I want to give you all our praise, Lord. Every ounce of our strength, Lord, we give to you praise. This morning, you deserve it, Jesus. Lord, you deserve it. Everyone in this place who can say, the blood of Christ has washed me from every single sin has a reason to praise you today, Lord. Every person, whether they're here or not, Lord, we have a reason to praise you and give you all the glory. You deserve it, Lord. Better than our mouths can truly sing, Lord. More than we can, with all of our strength, can muster up. Lord, you are worthy beyond our physical capabilities of the praise you deserve. And Lord, nobody, nobody should feel any differently because You are the God who's given us hope and life. Not human hope only. Not just beyond this life hope only. But Lord, given us the hope of the reality of the eternal God. And Lord, You've given us an opportunity to have relationship with You so that we can hear You. We can know Your instruction. We can know the direction that You have for our lives. Today, Lord, we are dependent upon that. We want to hear from You today, Lord Jesus. We want to hear Your Word to us, Lord. Every individual person in this place, Lord, I want You to speak to their hearts something that's a message personally for them. That they'll understand something that only You can say to them, Lord. And God, I'm so grateful that You are the omnipotent God. You're the one who can reach in and speak to every one of us personally all at the same time. God, that's just the one we serve today. And I want to thank You, Lord, that we get to worship You beyond just these songs. Beyond just the ones we sang, Lord. Lord, and even beyond just the time that we have for this service. When we go into our homes, Lord. And wherever we go today, that we can be practicing the presence of God everywhere we are. Lord, we can be in Your throne room at every hour of the day. And Lord, even when we're in dry times, God, You're still there. Lord, you're revealing yourself in a different way, but you're still there. And so, God, I want to thank you for that. Lord, I just want to pray right now the word, Lord, that you have for us this morning. God, that you would set your hand upon me to be able to speak, Father, as you have put in my heart. Because, Lord, I know that this is powerful. And I know, Lord, that even though it's the simple, very fundamental truths of the Scripture, that, Father, these are the ways that we come into your presence. This is the way that we draw near to you. And there isn't another prescribed way, God. You haven't given us many ways. You've given us one way. And we're done searching any other way, Lord. We're done with it. And we want to serve you today. And we want to look at it, Lord, the way you've called us to. And we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, God.
praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to give an opportunity. If there's anybody that wants to share something that the Lord has put on their heart, I definitely want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Isaac, can you get that mic on? <laughs> we have problems with that mic for some reason. At least it worked for worship. Praise the Lord for that. Testing, 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 test, testing. So... I was reminded uh, earlier today that uh, Jesus is our shepherd. But uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but sheep cannot live without a shepherd. They cannot live without humans in their lives. Sheep rely on humans. And so that's why Jesus calls us his sheep, because he's the great shepherd. And we cannot live without relying on him in our lives daily, morning, noon, and night. And so he is our great shepherd, and he loves us. He died for us. And uh, so it was just something that was brought to our attention this morning. (laughs) And I wanted to share that. Actually, I'm really thankful I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I mean, it kind of makes sense to me, but um, it does register with some of the other things that Jesus said, too. He said, without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. She wants to speak again. There's also something else that just brought to my mind that when a, a sheep goes astray and keeps going astray, the shepherd has to break their legs and carry them until he's obedient to stay with the shepherd. Wow. I wonder if that's what Jacob experienced when the angel broke the hollow of his thigh. You know, so... Whoa, what happened there? Okay, so we might get a little reading here. Sorry. Sometimes the spiritual lessons are the hard ones to learn, the ones that God really has for us. And I'm actually very thankful that you shared that because as... The Lord gives liberty for this message this morning. It's going to tie into just what you shared. So, um, and the Lord has a way of com- confirming things to us. So praise God for that. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else have something that they need to share right now? Beverly does here. Um, Will. I just want to thank Taj for picking out the worship music the last three weeks and introducing me to some great songs she always worries about. Oh, Beverly doesn't know this one. But by introducing them to me, then I get, I just love them. And I'm thankful. Thank you. You know, there's a, there's a lot to say for this. Go ahead. Absolutely. 
Amen. We're not going to miss our opportunities here. Amen. So there's a whole lot to be said for those who are leading and helping lead in worship. And we want to make that clarification that they're leading in worship. Um, You're the worship team. And so they're just helping lead. You get to worship with them. So, you know, bring the Lord's presence in with you. Spend some time with him. Sometimes these mornings before, you know, get up earlier if necessary. But bring his presence with you. And let's share together in what God wants to do in a community setting. Again, that kind of goes with the message. You're like, well, what is the message? Okay, so. <laughs> so anybody else want to share? But thank you, Beverly, for sharing that. We, we absolutely love this worship team. We love this worship Amen. team. Praise God. So thank you for the sacrifices made. You know, only those who are doing those kinds of things are learning the sacrifices, the struggles, the changes in schedule, and how that works and the dynamics of it. But the reason why we want to recognize it today is because we want to honor God through the work and the service of those who are giving themselves to him. Yeah. And, and that is not to minimize in any way those of you who are in, in sitting there, because I'm more than sure that you're busy in the Lord's way and what you're doing. And we want to give all the praise to that. Not just what we see, but what we don't see. Amen. Because it's for him. Yes, it's for amen. him. Gotta give him the glory. So lastly, one one last chance. You get to be the last one in here if you want to share anything before we, we minister. We've had a lot of good words from people yes. about what we're doing here, about the opportunity to share, to hear from you guys. Um, because you're, ex- you're contributing to what the Lord's doing in this yeah. church. And it's not a... It's not a show here. It's not for me just to stand up and for me to give off those gifts. The Lord has given you a gift of song, um, of technical ability. Uh, we would certainly love to have to have a conversation with you. There's many things that we can be a part of. And so what we have found is this. Um, Will and I were talking earlier this morning. This is just a little nugget before I get into the sermon. I didn't see any other hands, so I guess that was my hand. I don't know. But... Um, we we're talking about when Jesus called Peter out on the water. And, um, you know, when the Lord calls you out, it doesn't mean that you feel like you're anointed for the task necessarily, right. that you feel like you're up to the task. The Lord is going to grow you through whatever he's called you to do. Yes. And sometimes it's going to be painful to start out and the struggles that you have to deal with. And um, all of that is a part of the sweetness of his grace because if we didn't experience some of the trial that goes along with it, we wouldn't realize how valuable and how wonderful it is to be covered by the strength that God gives us. So some of us maybe need to step out of that boat today with Peter. And you know, there was 11 other disciples, and it doesn't tell us anything, but all we know is is they stayed in the boat. And Peter was the only one that stepped out. And I wonder how many people are like that right now, that they just feel that's uncomfortable. And notice that Peter, not only did he step out, but he stepped out and he sank down into the water. And Jesus lifted him back up. But he's the only one with a testimony. He's yes. the only one yes. with a testimony of what it means to step out on water yes. and watch that water harden under his feet. Who else can say, Amen. I walked on water today Amen. or any other day of their life? Amen. And so we want to pray that we be the ones that step out on the water. And maybe for you it's not physical water, but it's spiritual water. Yeah. There's an area of your life that's a spiritual. I don't. It's humanly impossible for this to work out unless God does something here. And I think that that's exactly how Jesus gets his testimonies. Is It's got to be God or it doesn't work. It's got to be God or it doesn't work. Amen. 
So I just feel like that's just a nugget from the Lord for us. Thank you, Lord. Who knows what the Lord has for some of you out there, but praise God. And what I've realized is, is that, you know, it's, it's not the service, but we labor together. Imagine what it means to labor together. And when I go out on the job working, uh, doing landscaping, putting in the sprinkler system, there isn't one person that comes there for to be a spectator. And I don't, you know, sometimes we, we set this up and we called it the tradition and we set it up so that people can be spectators. And I don't want to do that. I'm praying against that, that we don't set up the church scenario. But that means probably Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, before we got here to Sunday, that there was some work that we were doing as a body of Christ that we recognized that we were together in. It may be prayer for this community. It may be that we're reaching out to this community and providing for needs for it. But in whatever way, that it's that we are assembled together as a body of Christ to be working together to bring the salvation of Jesus and his message to those who don't know it. Because we know how important it is. We know how important it is. So turn to your Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 12. Jesus. And at any point that you feel like there's something you need to say, Will still has that microphone back there, so just. <laughs> okay, so First Chronicles chapter 12. I'm gonna just preface on this. I'm not gonna probably get into any of the verses particularly, except for one of them. But we see in chapter 12, this is the. Uh, this is the time when David is now stepping into what God had anointed him for. Saul has died. Saul and Jonathan are gone. And now David's stepping into that ministry of being a king. And he's getting the, he's getting the support for that. And, and it goes down a list of those who basically were warriors, solid uh, men ready for battle, and the support that he was getting. But you're beginning to see there's four things that I noticed in chapter 12 that was happening here. And I want to make sure that we see this, is God was establishing David as king. That was one. So finally David was seeing what God had anointed him quite, quite a while ago. He had anointed him for. Now he's stepping into that authority in that place. It's amazing that, and I think that's sometimes it's hard for me to understand, why would God anoint him for it and then it take a number of, maybe years later before that actually takes place in his life. And I can't tell you why that is, but I just know that sometimes we're anointed and we're like, how come I'm not? Remember the story of John the Baptist and it said that he was in the deserts, in the wilderness, until the time of his showing. There was an appointed time that God was raising him up and when that time came, he would be doing exactly what God wanted. And we have to live that way. Lord, I may feel like I'm called to something, but I'm not moving until I know that you're moving me. The second one was God was strengthening him. There were so many ways that he was being strengthened, but the support and the coming together and all of Israel beginning to come together and support David. And another one that we were seeing is God, that they were being unified. They were being unified. So all of this... Uh, needing to come together and recognize that now God has raised up a new man, a chosen man for His purpose. And God has raised him up 
And the people are recognizing it. And the people are standing behind what God is doing through David. And it's not David's kingdom, but it's God's kingdom. And God just raised him up to be a leader. And they were supporting that leader. And I love godly leadership. But I especially love those who are supporting godly leadership. They that come behind. They will not let it fall. There's a lot of people. Man, I've been there. I've seen it where they're like, here's the leader, godly leaders, and I've watched them fall because they didn't have the support necessary. Because people had were quicker to make criticisms before they were willing to see the, the pastor lifted up or the minister lifted up or whoever. So this was being unified. And this was one of the most phenomenal things happening here as you begin to read these all of this coming back together. And then in, uh, I want to read in verse 40 in chapter 12. And they were experiencing joy and celebration. This is, from me, from my perspective, chapter 12 is like a revival, if you want to call it. Chapter 12, verse 40. I'll get there here. Everybody else got there, right? Um, And moreover, they that were uh, near them, even Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, brought bread on donkeys and on camels, on mules, on oxen and meat and meal, cakes of figs and bunches of raisins and wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly. And there was joy in Israel. There was joy in Israel. This was like the consummation of this unification that there was joy. And when you read the story, go back and look. Take time. I even thought about for this morning, and just stepping aside and just having a quiet moment and for you guys to read through chapter 12. Because what you're seeing is this, uh, the, amazing, the amazing reality of what it looks like when God begins to put something together. And so they're experiencing their great joy and they're experiencing celebration. And I think the church should be today, should be experiencing some of the same exact things. But David wasn't satisfied. Neither were the people satisfied with what they were already experiencing. And when I read 12, I'd be like, that's good enough in, in many scenarios. But there was something that was urging him to look beyond just those things. And he wanted the ark of God. He wanted it brought back into his city where he was. And he wanted the blessing that the ark has. And to me, the ark represents the fullness of God's salvation, the fullness of his presence, the fullness of his provision for his people. And he was like, of all of this, of all that God has done to establish me as a king, bringing me into this place, bringing the people together here, bringing it together in such a phenomenal way, I still want to see one thing more. He was looking for the greater joy, what I would call the corporate presence of God. He wanted something deeper. So in verse 1, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. So David sought for a oneness of mind with the people. He wanted a oneness of thought. And he consulted with them about bringing the ark back in. Bringing it. They had to go transport the ark back into the community. And in verse 4, And all the congregation said that they would do so. 
for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. David followed in oneness of purpose with the people. I think that's amazing because here he is. He's listening and he's saying, do you guys see the same thing that I do? Do you feel the same direction that I do? It reminds me of Paul when he said that we be of one mind and one heart. This is, not, this is the example of the perfect church. I mean, we say no church is perfect. But if you actually get a church to be of one mind and one heart, Christians together in the same purpose, seeing God's will together, that is the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted ultimately. And so David's beginning to see something like that function. There's going to be a little trouble in this that I want to bring out, but he was seeing there was a desire for oneness of mind, but not just a oneness of mind, that we prayed about it, we believed it was God's purpose, but we want to put it in practice. And they were ready together, as, as if they were one person, of a bunch of people as one person, doing the same task, moving together with the purpose of bringing the ark. And it was like they all saw the need for God's presence corporately. They saw the need for God's greater work of salvation among them, not just individually, but among them all. And this was like the focus of chapter 13. And in the verse 5, we see again just the same thing that the people were being united. In verse 5, And so David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hema, and bring, to bring the ark of God from kirjath Jerem. So they were being united together, even when you're experiencing fullness. Isn't it true that we're still experiencing a continual maturity in our unity? That it never gets to the place where it comes to a final full climax with God. And so there was this continued theme of unity and unification that was taking place during this time. And then in verse 6, they were united with the same plan. And David went up and all Israel to Bala, that is to kirjath Jerem, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from thence the ark of God uh, and that dwelled between the cherubim, whose name is called on it. So they were of the same purpose. It's just unique to think about that, that there was something actually happening. And today we would call that a revival. I don't think you would call it anything less than a revival. If you got this in a community of people that were walking so together with the same mind. Now think about it. Their focus was not on uh, building a larger building. Their focus wasn't on the things that would make uh, more enjoyable for the community. The focus was a spiritual focus. The focus was on uh, the permanent plan and purpose of God in their lives. And they were all together on that same idea. And then in verse 8. And David and all Israel prayed before God. Notice it says all of them prayed before God. With all their might. And with singing and with harps. And with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals. And with trumpets. So they did two things together. All of them. I can only imagine the mass of people that were in this. I can only imagine how many people were gathered together to do this. And they all prayed together. Listen to me. They all prayed. It wasn't just a few, but they all prayed. And they all praised God. This was 
the celebration of a church service we all desire to have. But then we have the wake-up call. We have the wake-up call. And this I really want to focus on because David was missing something. David was ready to go and get that ark and he gathered all of Israel and he got them all together and they had one mind, but they had missed something. They had missed something. So with all that they were doing, they had missed something. Verses 9 and 10. And when they were come into the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. So David was having a wake-up call. And this I want to just make this statement. Godly desires without obedience will be interrupted. So sometimes we have great desires and we want to see God move in very phenomenal ways. But we need to make the distinction is that there's a place of obedience that God has for us to step into before we just, just drive on with desire alone. And they wanted to see this work out their way. And so what David was beginning to see is, what is the complication of trying to get God to do things your way? That you get in the way of what he's wanting. So ministries oftentimes see an opportunity to where, well, this, this will get the people to come. This will get people all wanting to adjoin or to be a part of. And they will use some means. But the thing you'll notice is that David here, you know, he sought from the people first. And it says no mention in chapter 13 that he went to the Lord and sought the Lord about it. He never took focus on the Lord. You'll also notice that there was a prescribed way for bringing the ark and bringing it where they were supposed to. And they didn't even do that. It's like they totally forgot the Word of God. They totally forgot to lock their attention in on God. Their desire for something was holy. But they failed in some of the most important points. And so one of the other things that the Scripture actually talks about in, in doing it God's way was that they were to sanctify themselves. So that it was supposed to be the Levites that brought in the ark. And it was supposed to be that the Levites that were sanctified to bring in the ark. That basically, you don't just carry God's presence into your life without the reality of the sobriety of having God's presence into your life. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And they had deceived the people and said that they had sold their land for so much money and they had lied about it. And that the power of God that was at work within the church at that time, there was signs and wonders being done. And the greater the glory of God, the greater will be our um, responsibility to it. And so you don't just step into the presence of God carelessly and 
in the attitude of your flesh and think that that's all going to turn out well. And that's what David was literally taking the people to do was go ahead and enjoy God's presence. Be casual in the presence of God. Miss the plan that God has for you because you want to take it in a casual sense. And so many things we do in this world is we, we talk about our liberties, our Christian liberties, and we fail to realize there's some things that you cannot bring into the presence of God. There's some music that you cannot have in the presence of God. There's some ways in which you can joke about things and laugh about things that in the presence of God, you cannot do those things. There's a place in our life where we have to realize the Holy Spirit sanctifies our temperaments and attitudes and the way that we view the world and the people around us. There's certain things that we can tolerate in the natural that God doesn't tolerate when we get closer to Him. And the reality is, and the challenge is, the more you want to walk with God, the more you want His presence in your life, the more you're going to have to abandon the things that are not like Him to come deeper into Him and near to Him. And they were missing this in all of their zeal, and all of their unity. And I wonder sometimes if things that look so good on the outside that we miss the actual plans of God in what we're doing. So in verses 11 and 12, And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David was in the middle of this process, and he has this jewel, as it were, God's precious jewel, this ark, and he can't do anything more with it. He realizes he can't get it to where he wanted to go with it. And he was displeased. I don't know if he was displeased with himself. He was displeased with the Lord. But all you see is this inner confusion and turmoil that happens when you begin to realize God wanted you to do it this way and you did it your own way. And then there's this struggle that you have and it can bring struggle into your relationships. It can bring struggle into your marriages. It can bring struggle on your job sites. It can bring struggle right here into this place and in your church. The people that are supposed to be brothers and sisters, before we know it, where we're divided and we're broken with one another because we tried it our way. We tried to handle it in our own strength. And before we knew it, we were speaking out of our own spirit and we missed God's purpose behind it. I don't know what the scenarios for us would be like as far as David was concerned, but I know there's many of them. Many of them. And people begin to wonder, why? How come it is God's not giving me the blessing today? And we have to go back to, where did we miss it with the Lord's plan here? So I said this, God will disturb us when we are doing things our own way. He will disturb us. He will get our attention. He will do things that make it very uncomfortable for us. And He's not going to take that away until we get back to doing it His way. And then in verse 13, And so David brought, he didn't bring the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And then it says, while it was in his place, that it blessed him. Like, here's somebody else, he just gets David's blessing. And he misses, David misses out on his own blessing, but Obed gets his blessing. And what we see there is that the blessings of God are forfeited until we repent. There's a need in our lives. If I've been doing this the wrong way, Lord, then I, I need to come to a place of recognizing that 
and then making the changes that are truly uh, go in the direction that you intended. And so there's a need for repentance and that we forfeit that blessing until there's that place of repentance there. And you'll begin to see this in David's life. You know, verse uh, chapter 14, something begins to take place in all of this. But I want to go to 15 before I go to 14. Just want to confuse it a little bit. Just because it's written that way doesn't mean that's the way I'm going to preach it, right? Okay, so doing it God's way. In 1 Chronicles 15, 13 through 15, we'll read it this. This is what David, this is what happened. David changed. David made him, sorry, let me go back there to 13 and 15. For because he did it not at first, actually I'm going to read verse 12. And he said unto them, You are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and your brethren, you may bring up that you may bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel into this place that I have prepared for it. For because you did not did not do this at first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. Just listen to that. We sought him not after the due order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the, sta the staves thereon as Moses commanded. So the first one was he started with an ark. Uh, and then according to the word of the Lord. I want to focus on that part of it. He started with an ark. They had to carry it on staves. They didn't have, a, not an ark, but a, um, uh, I forget what it was, a, a cart. A cart. And he brought it in on a cart. And that wasn't the prescribed way to deal with it. It was actually written in the Word exactly how they were supposed to bring this ark into. And they did not take any time. But now, chapter 15, after the rebuke, after watching a man die because of David's mistake, and I'm sure that must have had a very, very powerful impression upon David. It would me. And then here he is after that. He begins to do the thing that he knew he should have done at first, and that was go back to what the Word of God says. Go back to it. And there's a whole lot right here. If we just took that book and we started living by its principles, started going back to it, and I'm going to say this, because there's a lot of stuff that other people are saying about the Word of God that will easily be corrected if you read the Word of God. Because what that we don't get... When we listen to somebody else, we don't get the Holy Spirit's interpretation for us personally. And we need the Holy Spirit to open up the Word of God the same way as it was with Peter when he said, but this wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this to you, Peter. It was my Father which is in heaven that revealed this to you. And it strengthens you because the way you live is directly in line with your relationship to God. And so it doesn't matter if it's videos or books or other material. All of those are important to their own degree. But never to the place that it exceeds our union with God through His Word. Because it has to be personal. And there's nothing I'm doing here ultimately that's personal for you. A lot of times I've listened to a sermon and I've been listening to somebody and there's a side note that God put me on. He didn't say anything about that. But that was God's direction for me in that moment. We need God to speak to us in the same way today. And so the Word of God must become precious. I heard this a long time ago, and I loved it. 
um, this uh, this man was asked, he was a minister, was asked, how often do you read the Bible? And he said, well, about once a month. And the guy was shocked and said, I can't believe that you've only read the Bible once a month. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I read through the whole Bible once a month. Okay, so there's a difference in the way of devotion, isn't it? The picture, the plane, it take, takes once a month before I even touch the Bible, or once a month I'm clearing all the way from Genesis to Revelation. I can imagine the person who spends that much time in the Scripture gets a whole lot from God through it. Because it's specifically, I'm going right back to the source. And remember, the Word of God is our source. It is the source. It's how we discern. And it's powerful when the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to discern. And this is the difference. If you want discernment, it better come from the Scripture. It has to come from the Scripture. There's no other way around it. And so if we're grounded in the Word of God, we have discernment. That's the way that what the Holy Spirit uses. So David went back to the Word of God. He went back to what it is that God wanted him to do. And he's like, okay, so this is what we're supposed to do. Now, I love this. So a couple points on this is discerning. We've been talking about tradition, right? Well, there's some things that are commands. It's not traditions, but we confuse those. So when God told them to do this with the ark, There wasn't another way to do it. There was no other way God was on it. There was no other way that they could manage it. But I wonder if some, in some sense that some of the people may have looked at, well, that's just your tradition. There's some things that we need to divide out, whether they're traditions or this is the way God does things. So look at those two things. And another thing that I want to say, and this I think is super important, because when you spend time in the Word of God, you realize you read a whole chapter based on its context, not on referencing it. So there's a whole lot of stuff that we're going to be inundated with today that references the Scripture but doesn't face it and deal with its context. So we, are, we have to deal with the context of Scripture. So when we say it's biblical, what we're really saying is that it's based upon the context of Scripture. There's a lot of people who will say it's biblical who only reference the Scripture. And what I mean by that is, is that basically we've come up with an idea that works, or we feel like works, or this experience in my life, and then we reference the Word of God to back up the, the idea of that. But what God is actually telling us to do is be studious and look in the context of Scripture. Because there's a whole lot in Scripture that if we divorce the context from what we're reading then we can do a whole lot of things by referencing the Scripture because we can take it out of context in order to reference it as long as it sounds like it applies. But the context is the safe basis by which God has given it to us. And any hermeneutics class teaches us that, is that we have to use the context of it, and it would be with any book. So if I wrote a book and somebody else began to take what I had said and they took it out of context, but they were referencing what I would say, I would tell them, that you're not regarding the integrity of the author himself. And that's very necessary and important when we come to the Bible because God is the one who gave it to us. So I just want to say those few things because I think they're super important when we're looking into the Word of God itself. Because I know a lot of people say, well, it's just got to, we just got to spend time in the Word. And I listen to their interpretation of the Word 
And I'm like, it's not precept upon precept. It's not line upon line. I don't see all the other scriptures come together with it. You're not basing your belief on the scripture based on the scripture itself. You take one scripture, one verse, isolate it, and then tell me your interpretation based on that. So it's not just simply reading the word of God, but it's simply beginning to have an understanding of the word of God. And there's so much that I realize, especially when we talk about doctrine and theology, you don't get, like, it's not just you read through the chapter of theology and the chapter of doctrine. Like, you have doctrine and theology, what you're dealing with is, you're dealing with multiple places throughout all the Bible, speaking on the same subject and dealing with the full uh, idea of it. So you're not just talking about one place in Scripture, or a few verses, you're talking about verses from Genesis to Revelation, to support the same truth. And there has to be. There has to be a compatibility in it. So when you see something that you call a contrast, when you're like looking in the Bible and you see a contrast, you say, I think this, this contrast is a conflict. For instance, Paul talking about justification by faith and James talking about that you're not justified but by works. And you see this contrast. And it seems like these two guys, if you do it, you've got to either be on Paul's side or on James's side. But when you read the Bible in all of its context and you understand both of these authors, they're in perfect compatibility with one another. And they're two, teaching two different sides of the scripture. But if you bring it all together, you'll see it's in absolute harmony and it's perfect. But you have to be a student of the word of God and you have to be a student from the Holy Spirit of God to get a full picture of these things or you will end up in false doctrine and in crazy lifestyles. And they'll say, well, it's biblical. It's not biblical. You just referenced the Bible, but you're not living the Scripture the way God intended. And so this is paramount when you see this because they're going to look back on it and they're not going to get to follow their own interpretations of What did Moses say here? We'll do exactly what he said. So, of course, that's my, uh, I guess that's my rant, you might say, but I think it's worth it. And then in uh, then First Chronicles 15, verses 12 through 14, um, and we'd already read those, and that it was basically they were called to sanctify themselves. So I see this as a perfect, a complete picture of the Christian life, because not only is God calling us, as I said, about the Word of God the way I was talking about it, but it's also even deeper than that. It's called sanctification, and it's a simple form for those who don't know it. Sanctification is being set apart. Isn't that awesome? That God actually took you, and He said, "You have been a sinner." in the filth of darkness, far from me, not even a child of God, an enemy of God, the Scripture calls us. Apart from the salvation of Jesus Christ, we're enemies. And He brings us in and makes us children. And then He sets us apart. Now, some of us can say, well, I was, you know, man, this is a big thing for a lot of us. And we look at our jobs as being what I was set apart to do. I'm a landscaper. I'm an electrician. I'm a whatever, a plumber. And you begin to think that that's, that's your set apart. And for many, that's exactly the best that they can give. I've been set apart to do this work. And they put their mind and their heart and their life into that work. And now that we look at it from sanctified as a Christian, we are set apart for God. Now, when I think of that, I'm like, that causes me to rejoice and tremble. Because what if my life doesn't represent Him well? That's a, that's a big question. What is, is there one thing in my life? Read in Revelation where he said, all these things I have for you, but one thing I have against you. 
one thing. And if you don't repent of that one thing, I'll take away your candlestick. And I, I spent some time a few years ago thinking about that, and it's like, Lord, I'm thankful for all the things that are right, but what I'm really concerned about is the one thing. What is the one thing in my life that's not right, that you're pointing out and you're telling me to just get it right? And why? Because you're a sanctified vessel. Listen to me. You've been set apart for God. That's why he, gets not over, uh, he doesn't just say, you know what, it's all good if you got 90% in your life. He doesn't do that. But he says, look, if you're set apart for me, the whole purpose is to be 100% set apart. And I like the way, um, I think it was years ago, John Bevere was teaching on a sermon, and he said this. He talked about if you were getting married and your spouse was just giving you one stipulation, said, I'll be completely and 100% faithful to you every day, except one day, I want the license to go pursue a relationship outside of you. Just one day. That's it. But the rest of the year, I'm just going to be faithful to you. How many of us would accept a marriage on those terms? And listen, listen here. Why do we expect God to accept our union to Him on those terms? We won't do it, but God will do it. No, He doesn't. So He says there's one thing. One thing. And I want you to set apart yourself 100% for me. You're 100% for my glory. What you watch on television is 100% for me. What you listen to in music is 100% for me. How, what you, how your relationship is with your spouse is 100% for me. What you do on work is 100% for me. What you do with your taxes is 100% for me. What you do is 100% for me. But Lord... I just feel like grace covers me when I fail in a few of these points. I want your grace and your interpretation of grace to be 100% for me. You see the focus. You're set apart for it. So why aren't people being sanctified? Because they have not formed it in their mentality that I'm being set apart 100% for Jesus in everything. Now the struggle is we say, well, what person lives up to that? What person lives up to that? And I'll tell you this. The person who in their intention of their heart plans to do it. What I won't say is this. That anybody necessarily lives 100% perfect in outward forms. But there's nothing in the Bible that confirms that you can have, you cannot have the intention of your heart to be perfect in all your ways before God. Notice the scriptures. Even Jesus said it. Be perfect. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In, this, in Psalms, he says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Job was a man that was perfect before God. And yet, look at some of the things that Job did. But there was a sense in his heart. There was a commitment. Lord, there may be problems in my life, but the moment you reveal them, I'm not going to make excuses and hide from them. But I'm going to keep drawing near to you until I'm made right in everything that I do. And there's so many people. The problem isn't the fact that you don't have enough grace in your life. It's that you have too many excuses in your life. You have too many reasons why you won't do it. And you don't think you can do it. And God's children shouldn't be telling God all the reasons why they can't. And I love what the way Living Ravenhill says it. He says it this way. He said that many people will say, well, we're only human. But he says this. He says, you're human with the Holy Ghost. 
That is the difference. Human with the Holy Ghost. I got somebody back there that's hearing it. I know that that's true. The Holy Spirit can do things in me. It's not humanly possible to live the holy life except the Holy Spirit is dwelling within me and helping me and furnishing me and strengthening me and giving me everything that I need in this life. So you see, when you begin to see this put together, it's like no wonder they can't bring the ark of God in. No wonder the, the salvation of the Lord and the power of that isn't being ministered to the people around us because we don't go through the Word of God and we won't sanctify ourselves wholly to God and there's no reason why we can go any further. Okay, you can see you got the preacher all stirred up, didn't you? What are you going to do that for? First Chronicles 15, 2. Um, this is actually really important here. I think we miss it. First Chronicles 15, 2. If I can find it here. Um, yes. And David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For they are the ones the Lord has chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. There's special things that God has chosen certain individuals for. Not anybody can do that. Now, I will never mix that with you're the body of Christ and you are the priests of God. So God's called you into his ministry through Christ. But there's special ministries that obviously the Lord's going to choose certain individuals for. I love John the Baptist. It said he was a man sent from God. We need more men that are men sent from God. That they know, I can't go out in that wilderness. I can't start my ministry. I can't move forward unless God has sent me. But if God has sent me, you dare not stay put. You better go. You better do what He's told you to do. There should be a sense of the fear of the Lord along with the love of God that moves us forward in the call of God for our lives. So, we see this as God has chosen them. And what's beautiful about that is, is that if God chooses somebody, that whatever is in a sense of ministry or whatever, we should recognize that. Stand behind it and support it. Lord God, move in their life. And I love that because if I say this, I say I believe that the strength behind the ministry, if God lifts me up to do any more than what I am, it's the prayers of those that are behind that ministry. You don't know how much I value it. But I know, because I've understood God giving me the blessing of praying for some other man, praying for somebody else in their ministry, and getting down in the, They don't know what you're praying. They don't know the desire of your heart. They don't know that God is filling you full of love and admiration and hunger for Him to move, for God to move through them. But don't you want somebody like that in your life that's the prayer warrior, the intercessor, that like, Lord, I see their fault, but that doesn't stop me. I'm praying that you would prepare them and move them beyond that. And you look at David's life and this testimony, and God moved David out of his failure, and God moved him back to where he wanted him to be. And those are the kinds of people you want praying for you. You want behind that ministry. So my last focus is to go back to 14. Don't forget the lessons between the chapters. That's what I call this. Don't forget the lessons between the chapters. So David had failed. And now he has this side thing happening. And now he has the Philistines coming up against him. And he's dealing with this whole thing. And uh, in verse 10, listen to what David did. And David inquired of God, shall I go up against the Philistines? 
And will you not deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. This time, he got it right. This time, he did what God wanted him to do. And he said, You know what? I'm not going to listen to the people. I don't care if they say I can go or not. I do care if God says I can go. Because, listen to me, you may have a whole team of people not backing you. And God says you can do it. You'll do it by yourself if you have to. But God will get you there. He will raise up a new team for you if necessary. But he'll do what it takes. We put too much credit in what everybody else feels. Now what it should be is the people should be confirming the word of God that he's given to you. Not deciding what the word of God is to you. And there is a huge difference. And so he followed God. And and what's noticeable is, is he goes in and he defeats them. And then they come up again and they start a brand new. They're just starting a brand new warfare. And the Philistines come up against him again. And David doesn't say, let's do it the way God said before to do it. Now, notice here this. He doesn't have anything in the word in in, uh, Moses to tell him how he's supposed to do this. So now he's receiving direct communication from God because there isn't something specific in the word of the Lord is exactly how he's supposed to do this. So there are these things that we come and we're like, I don't know how, like, should we start with prayer or should we start with praise? Like, it doesn't tell me what I should start with. That we just let, let the Lord feed us in. But when it's directly right out of the word of God, we have to follow what the word says. So here he is, and he doesn't go back at it and said, the Lord did it this way, so let's do it that way. What does he do? Verse 14. This is, Therefore David inquired again of God, and God said unto him, Go not up after them, turn away from them, and come up upon, come up over, uh, upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you shall hear the sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then you shall go out to battle. For God has gone forth before you to smite the host of the Philistines. So God says, you will not go up that way. You will not do it the way that I did. I told you before. You're going to do it this way. And you're going to listen through the mulberry trees, and then you're going to go. But notice David, it says that he inquired of the Lord again. You know what that tells me? David learned his lesson. He learned his lesson at how hard it is and how difficult it is to face the, the trials that come when you don't seek God. So he says, you know what, from now on there's a new precedence. David is going to seek God from now on, even on things that the Lord has already given him victory in before. That is a safe place to be. That is an amazing place for us as Christians. And I'm amazed. Today I wonder how many men are seeking God. How many of them are drawing near to the Lord. It makes me wonder because of the choices they're making and the way that they're talking and the things that they're interested in and focused on. But aside from that, I'm thankful that God gives us the story of David for those of us as individuals that say, Lord, I'm going to go David's way. I'm going to walk that way. And I'm going to make this precedence true in my life. I'm going to seek you in everything. I am not going to miss the boat on this one. And I'm sure some of us have those stories. Yeah, I had this fail before me. I had this struggle, this trial, this hardship because I didn't seek the Lord. And I pray that you found that place in God where you can say this word, you're preaching to the choir here because that's me. I'm the one who's going to seek God on everything. Praise the Lord. And lastly... In verse 16, and that was David therefore did as God commanded him. 
And they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeah even to Gezer. And the fame of David went out in all the lands. And David brought, uh, brought the fear of him. Oh, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. This is what's powerful here is, is that God begins to defend him. David, you did it right. You did it my way. And I'm going to defend you. I'm going to stand behind you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to supply your needs for what you're doing. You're not going to have to wonder if I'm going to be there in this scenario or not. And I know that that's where we all stand is, God, how, how am I going to get through this situation? You're going to do one thing. You're going to seek him with all your heart. You're going to sanctify your life and set aside everything for him right now because this is a time where it counts. This is the time where it matters. This is the time where it's important. If you don't do it now, you may never get the blessing that you need in these moments. God is the one who gives it. God is the one who pours it out. And these are the days that we must take it seriously. Some of us just float on edge and we're waiting for the hardest of circumstances to get us to the place we're going to seek God now. And don't do it in sorrow. Don't seek the Lord when life's a mess, when everything's a struggle. Seek Him while there's blessings around you. Seek Him while there's peace in the moments. Don't wait for things to come crumbling down before you seek Him. Draw near because in those moments when you give your heart wholly to Him, He provides for you incentives understanding, revelation, and truth. You will not do it your way, and you will probably not see an Uzzah die in front of you. You will not be the instrument of somebody else's death, spiritual death, because you did not seek the Lord, but you sought Him with all of your heart and gave yourself to Him. And I'm begging, Lord Jesus, do this in your church today. Do it. And I love that. Jonathan with his armor bearer. Lord saves by many, and He can save by few. He can take two men and totally turn the the spiritual world upside down because these men are devoted. These men are dedicated. These men are holy for God. And seeing people that are holy for God today is the urgency of the hour. There isn't anything else that's going to settle us in these moments. Nothing else is going to settle the struggles that we're dealing with. And, And if I could say that there's one thing I'm looking forward to and I'm just thankful for is that God has already called you out. He's already begun to got your number. He's like, you, 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 and you. All of you, right now, this is my calling for your life. Just let me have my way with you. One of my greatest joys is that as a 16-year-old young man, God got a hold of me. And I remember, I remember it was like, it was just like a sweet touch of His grace. How did I get home from high school and just didn't seem to have any schoolwork? I don't know. But for the first time in my life, it was like the Lord just never gave me schoolwork. And I can't quite explain it. But I did when I came home from school. I got down in front of my bed and I prayed with all my heart. And I had these, these uh, worship sets of music and I would just sing until I felt the presence of God. And then when I felt the presence of the Lord, it was just a change in the whole dynamic of my time of prayer. And I remember God doing something like that. And I, the reason why that's so powerful to me is, is that I realized this, is that we can... We can write off somebody like me. I was a write-off. Honestly, that's what I was. Nobody would have picked James for this, this thing that God wanted to do in his life. Nobody would have picked me because it would have seemed like I was too depressed. I was too far gone in darkness. And I wasn't living in the home that produced it. And I wasn't around the godly people that would influence it. But God did something in the midst of that. God got into somebody. And I'll tell you who God used in my life. God used not a lukewarm Christian but he used somebody who had a radical salvation to touch my life and get me to be interested in living out the real Christian life. 
And I saw that example. And I saw that man fast. And when he fasted, I would fast. And the joy of that was he had a little camp trailer out on the hill. And James would go out there and fast because he saw something that God was doing in that man and he wanted it in his own life. And I went out there for three days just fasting and I'd come down changed. I'd come down renewed. I'd come down refreshed. And I'd go face that same dark high school again. Those same dark-minded kids again. But this time, it seemed like the Lord would renew my boldness and give me a strength that I didn't have before. And I was so thankful for it. Because how did I? this is how I started a prayer meeting in my schools. I did this. I went out in the middle of the campus like a fool. And I got out there with my hands. I raised them up and I sang and I praised God. That's all I did, all by myself, until somebody joined me. Until somebody, I'll tell you that method doesn't work in theology today. That doesn't happen today. But I had young people that, now not every high school, I had some of the worst persecution and nobody would join me. And in another high school, I'd have one of the greatest meetings and experiences of my life. But what I realized is this, is God takes one who feels foolish, doesn't have the boldness, doesn't have the strength, and he shows himself through their life because he loves to show himself mighty. He loves to take the weak things of the world and confound the mighty. He loves to take the foolish things of the world and manifest his great strength so that no man gets the glory. No man gets it. Only God gets the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he wants to take your life, whether you see it in yourself or not. He wants to take you. You might be a young person. You might be an old person. He doesn't care. He doesn't make a distinction there. He just uses what's available to him. Praise God for that. And I believe that the Lord wants to give gifts and callings upon people because they're willing, because they're hungry, because they're thirsty for something that doesn't meet the status quo of today. Doesn't meet the status quo of today. Okay, so I've preached. And I've meant every word of it. Praise God for it. <laughs> Yeah, right. So praise God. We got somebody who wants to share back there. So So this morning I had my quiet time and I came upon 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's the exact same story that you just preached. It's just in Samuel. <laughs> but it came a little more personal to me than this. It's because David danced yes. before the Lord Amen. and he was praising God and he gifted the people. But then what happened when he got home? Mm. He was persecuted by his wife. Yeah. Wow. And so, but then when mm. he got persecuted by his wife, he just looked at her and he goes, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father mm. Mm. and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, mm. and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will hold in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, never had children to the day she died. Mm. So wow. our persecution wow. yes. will sometimes come within our own home, yep. but God will honor it. 
That's right. That's right. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. So, sister, you read that this morning? Yes. What can you say? Oh, that's that's. Praise you, Father. God is so good. He's so good because he confirms his word. Like, and I'll tell you, this is. I want to say this because I feel like we need we need to say this part of it. I was meditating on Joseph almost all week long, and I couldn't feel I couldn't get it in that story. I was like, I don't feel like that's where the Lord just wanted me to preach from. And then I came to this, and I just felt the Lord tying my heart to it. And here he is yeah. confirming his message to us. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So I'd like to ask a special prayer for my friend. He is a Christian, but he also believes in other dimension type things, and he tries to walk on the fence but falls off. <laughs> and so maybe he falls off on the wrong side. So you're going to have to tell him to get off the fence. <laughs> yes, we will pray for him. What's his name? Aiden. Aiden? Aiden. So he claims to be a Christian, but he believes in other dimensions. Is that right? He believes that in space, since there's endless of it from what scientists have said, he believes that on, there are other universes where if we travel far enough, we can find another dimension. Hmm. Well, we got new, we got multiple dimensions in God, but I don't know about our universe. So praise God. So we'll pray for Aiden this morning. I mean, let's pray for him. Unless it's afternoon, I may have gone long-winded now. I think that's about where we're at. So, praise God. Thank you for sharing. I just feel like the Lord's given us His Word this morning. So I want to give an opportunity for you guys to respond. I'm going to pray out loud for Aiden, but while I am, I want you to, if you want to, join up here and, and pray here at the altar. Pray at your seats, but pray. Pray for Aiden and pray for God to help us going forward as a church in this community yes. to do it God's way. To follow God's way, not our way, not my way, not any people's way, just his way. And just pray for that this morning. So as I pray, you just respond in any way you feel like the Lord is. Raise your voices. Pray to the Lord. I don't care. Just draw near to him this morning. God's still got some things for us. I'm sure of it. So thank you, Jesus. Father, we want to give you all the praise this morning. Thank you, Lord, for those that are responding right now. They're responding to you responding out of a love call to Jesus Christ. Lord, they know, Lord, that there's no place in the Christian life, this side of eternity, where we reach a climax. We get to go deeper and closer with you if we will, Lord. And Jesus, there's no, uh, there's no way of growing based on how we naturally, Lord. We have to grow because, Lord, we pursue and we give all of our heart to you. So this morning, Jesus, we want to give you all the praise right now. We want to give you every ounce of praise again right now because, Lord, you've confirmed your word. Lord, not everybody got up this morning and listened and read the same word, but because, Lord, you've doubled this message and you've given it to my sister. Oh, Lord, I pray, God, whatever you've meant for us right now, that individually and corporately we would take it to heart and we'd be of one mind and one heart this morning, mighty God. Lord, whatever's dividing us, whatever our differences are, that, God, that you would consume it in Christ, consume it under the blood of Jesus, consume it under the cross, and make us yours, mighty God. And we give you praise and thank you, Lord, right now, as we draw near to you as a congregation, as we ask you to do these things in our lives and in our hearts. Holy Jesus. Father, I pray for Aiden. Cover Aiden, Lord. 
God, I don't know, Lord, what part of his mind is in the correct area and what's not. But Lord Jesus, it's not good enough to have a profession of being a Christian. It's only good enough when we live it out, when we're Christians in life. Lord, when we're living epistles written and seen before all men. And that, Lord, the life we now live, we live to be a glory to God. Hallelujah. We're crucified with Christ, and yet we're raised in the newness of life. So, Lord, you can do this in Aiden. It doesn't matter how old he is. Lord, you said this gift of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children. And as many as the Lord our God shall call. And because, Lord, you filled John the Baptist from his mother's womb with the Holy Spirit, we believe, God, that Aiden can be having, receiving that same touch right now, mighty God. So, Lord, we just pray, Jesus, remove him from deception. Remove the lies out of his mind. We rebuke the devourer and, the, and we cancel the lies of Satan right now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we just give truth to him through prayer, Father. And we want to thank you, Jesus. want to thank you, mighty God, Lord, for this young life. It's going to be salvaged for your glory. Lord, changed for the praises of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. And right now as a congregation, Lord, as a pastor, with all of my heart, Lord, I want to be entering in to a greater fullness. Lord, I want the next step of glory, whatever that means for my life. And I want that for this church. Lord, and everybody in this place right now, we're hungry for God. Lord, we want you right now. And we want to give you all the praise and all the glory. You deserve all praise. You deserve all glory. You deserve, Lord, the best that we have to offer. Lord, and better than what we can offer in ourselves. But, Lord, everything that we can offer through the Holy Spirit at work within us. Oh, Lord, I want to thank you for that supernatural strength right now. What a mighty God you are. What a mighty God you are. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, folks, don't leave this place until you're satisfied that you've done exactly what God wanted you to do here. Oh, don't leave this place until you've cried out however you want to cry out, however you want to say it. Just say it. If you want to sing a song to him, sing a song. But just give yourselves to him the way that you feel that he's calling you to do so. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you this morning, Lord. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, God. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to, I want to invite some of you to come up front. I know it's not the casual thing that you do, but I want to tell you something. that The altar calls for me were not just a repentant time. The altar calls were the moments for me to get to spend that time with Jesus, yeah. to consummate the, the blessing of the message. So I don't know what you're feeling right now, but you might be missing one of the greatest things God has for you by not coming up and just spending some time with him. Nobody's here to interrupt you from it. Just spend some time, just like you would at home, just to get that extra measure from God. I want to invite you to do that.